Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to episode 140 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon, and this podcast is a production of The Leadership Phalanx. To find out more about me and what the Leadership Phalanx can provide, visit leadershipphalanx.com. That's leadership, P-H-A-L-A-N-X.com. Now, before I get into today's guest, I want to go ahead and uh, share one quick announcement with you. Uh, You know, during the pandemic, when people couldn't travel and all that, we had um, a bunch of guests with easy accessibility. Well, that's starting to change a little bit because of COVID restrictions being lifted. And to keep my guests' calendars in mind and to keep you supplied with high-quality guests, we're going to roll the show back to one show a week again. This is where we started. We went up to two shows a week to give folks a platform to be able to share their messages. And now is a really good time to roll that back and go back to one a week. So it'll be back to every Monday. We'll have a new episode starting with today. Next episode will be next Monday instead of this Thursday. So when you don't see a show this Thursday, that's why. Now on to today's guest. Today's guest is Vicki Oliver. Vicki is a leading career development expert with multiple best-selling books. Those titles include 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions, which was named in the top 10 list of best books for HR interview prep. Uh, She also wrote 301 Smart Answers to Tough Business Etiquette Questions and Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers, and Other Office Idiots. Now, we'll talk a little bit about each one of these books through this conversation, but gives you kind of an idea of of who Vicky is and her area of expertise. She's also a sought-after speaker and seminar presenter and a popular media source, having made over 900 appearances in broadcast, print, and online outlets. This was just a great conversation. We covered a lot of topics that uh, face the workplace, how some of them have stayed the same, how some of them have changed due to COVID, uh, how meeting etiquettes have changed thanks to Zoom, things like that. So without further ado, let me get out of the way, let that stinger play, and let you get into this outstanding interview with Vicki Oliver. All right. Well, Vicki, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this because, uh, you know, as, as my folks heard in the pre-roll bio, uh, you've written a couple of books with some really great names, uh, 301 Smart Answers to Tough Interview Questions, 301 Smart Answers to Tough Business Etiquette Questions, and my favorite, this is hands down my favorite title of any book, Bad Bosses, Crazy Coworkers, and Other Office Idiots. So 
given your sense of humor with all that and 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 uh, how you've tackled this, I'm really excited to hear your answer to this one question. When you hear the phrase burden of command, what does that mean to you? You know, I think that's a really interesting question. I feel like it might have to do with my personal mission, which I feel is to help people navigate through their working lives. You know, because let's face it, it's just our working lives really is most of our lives. Like once you subtract sleep, the people that you deal with at the office, at work, the people that you deal with, they can be very, very difficult. And my challenge is to try to help people deal with those difficult personalities so that they can get back to doing what they love, you know? Yeah. No, I, I like that. I like that a lot. And um, I, I got to ask this one other question because this was really getting me as I was looking through your, your titles there. So, again, great answer to burden of command. But uh, what is your... I'll say love affair with the number one, right? Like I noticed you couldn't stop at 300. You couldn't stop it at 200. You had to go for one more, right? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I believe that the business proposal that I first presented to the publishing company, I think I had 250 questions and answers. And then they wanted to extend it to be more, to be 301. But the truth is once I started really delving into it, I had a lot more than 301, and I don't know how many, maybe 350 by the time I was done with that book. And then just to add to it, I told people, you know, write to me, I will give you a free question. So that opened the door for a lot of my research on the other books because people wrote to me, they emailed me, they asked me questions, you know, and then I was suddenly in a correspondence with people all across the U.S. So it's really been a lifetime of answering questions, I think. Nice. No, I like that. I, I, that's that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting way you got there, but but I like it. Uh, so, all right, so. One of the things that uh, we're going to talk about here as we discuss in our kind of pre-show work up there is, uh, you know, we're in the middle of this great resignation, as people are starting to call it. So for you, how do you see that the pandemic and lockdowns and remote work and all that good stuff, how has it really got people kind of rethinking their career paths and moving forward as we get back to, quote, the new normal? Well, first of all, I hope you're right that there is going to be a new normal. I mean, here we are. I mean, I live and write in Manhattan in New York and 75% of the people here have been vaccinated. And we really thought, I think collectively, I think New Yorkers felt we were over the pandemic, you know, and we were just going to now resume. But now there's the Delta variant, you know, and some people who are being vaccinated, who've been vaccinated are getting COVID, which is so unfortunate. So I don't know if we're quite at the point where we can say we're at a new normal. But the last year and a half, a lot of work went remote. And that gave workers like much more time to consider things because before I think employers were reluctant to give workers any flexibility, 
you know, it was a big deal to take a day off, you know, to get an extra day or to even work from home. Those were considered perks. And then suddenly, boom, we had a year and a half or more where all work went remote and everybody was working from home, right? So that has shifted people's attitudes about work. You know, there's been a seismic shift some for some it's been very chaotic not to have a place to leave to go to every single day for others it's been oh wow this is great you know i have much more flexibility if people have children around you know there it gives them more time to juggle their own schedules so it's been a huge huge shift that's the main thing yeah no and i think that is so important here because you you hit the nail on the head there's some people who who really love working from home. And and let's be honest, not everybody is working from, quote, home. Some people are vacationing and working while they're, you know, on the road or while they're traveling afar. And that's a great thing about the internet that makes that possible. But there are some people who are just tearing their hair out because they want to get back. They want to get away from the house. And so how do you see that balance being stricken? Well, I think... Everybody has to, you know, sort of find their own path, find their own balance and what works for them. I mean, you know, about a month ago, I thought that most companies would be going to a hybrid model where people would work from home, but also go in person a couple of days a week. Um, And I think, you know, for some companies that may work, but I've also heard and read that a lot of companies are actually putting that off. They are putting off the hybrid model and continuing the remote model for now. So it's interesting to me because I feel like when everybody's in an office, there's more of a focus on personality. You know, you're living with people in close quarters. You're in a cube maybe, and maybe your boss is three cubes down from you and you care more about people's peccadilloes and their eccentricities. Whereas the remote model, I think the emphasis naturally shifts a bit to people's technical skills and being able to work remotely, you know, and it becomes, I think, more task oriented and less personality oriented. And some people will benefit from the new model and some people won't. Yeah, no, and I think that's another important factor there is, is the, the, um, what are the words I'm looking for here? Uh, the outgoing versus the, uh, the quiet folks in the office. I know there's better words for that, but for whatever reason, I'm, I'm forgetting what those are. Versus the extrovert. That's the one, because I'm an extrovert. I, I love being around people, uh, but I've even found some quiet solace in, in being able to remote work primarily. Uh, but you, you hit on a key factor there too, with, you know, we, we have kind of went 100% remote work and, for a lot of people, they're kind of complaining that 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 personal kind of like uh, that familial feel of being in the workplace. Uh, but with all of the platforms we have out there, right, with the Google Meets and with the Zooms and with the uh, Microsoft Teams and all that, we don't have to necessarily be that disconnected, do we? Well, I think in a way it's more equalizing because every single 
worker and boss and everybody in between is like a box on the screen, right? And so in a way, we're, it's more democratic actually, the, you know, having a complete Zoom existence. On the other hand, it's really hard to stare at a screen for hours and hours and hours. You know, I mean, there's just sort of Zoom fatigue um, and, you know, fatigue with all the different platforms. I'm not singling out any particular platform. I'm just saying just staring at a screen all day long is exhausting. And people tend to look at themselves more on the screen than they would ordinarily. So that's exhausting also. Uh, you know, so it. I think it's just, it's like a whole different shift that's happening and it hasn't completely shaken out. You know, some people want uh, to move jobs now because they're looking for like more empathy from their employers. Um, other people maybe have proven their skills, you know, in this new, new environment that we have. Um, but we're all collectively learning. I mean, that's that's the one thing I can say. Yeah, no, 100%. Well, and there's a lot of different directions we could go there, but I want to stick with because first of all, I, I totally understand what you mean when you say Zoom fatigue because I mean, let's face it, they've been the kind of the brand uh, define uh, definition of this time we've been in, right? They're, they're to virtual meetings, what Google is to search engines. Not all of them are Google, but Google is the standard and Zoom's kind of taken that spot. Um, but, you know, let me ask you this, because it's relatively new, and I don't know if you had a chance to play around with it, because I haven't. Uh Facebook's new the Horizon Workrooms. Have you have you seen this? I have not been on that platform yet. Mostly, I've been on Zoom. I'll just say. Yeah. Well, I think this is kind of a neat, and and I'm gonna I'm I'm going to be surprised if Teams and Google and Zoom don't try to kind of knock this off in some way. But to kind of overcome some of this, what we're talking about here, it's a it's a VR meeting room. And you plug in with your Oculus or whatever your VR system is. I don't have one, so I'll not be able to use it for a little while. But you can actually, it, it's mimics, and I think this is kind of the funny piece here, right? Is that it mimics being in the office after we've, as you mentioned in the beginning, we've spent so long, hey, I want to be able to work remote. I want to be able to work remote. I want to be away from the office. And now we're trying to find these fun ways to be virtually back in the office, right? So do you have an avatar or something? Does it give you an avatar? You can walk to the water cooler? Uh, you know, actually, that's a good question. I don't know if you can walk to the water cooler or not, but you do have an avatar. And it, it's kind of weird to me, like when I look at the pictures of it, because it's uh, it's kind of a floating torso. You don't, the, your avatar doesn't have legs. So even like when they're sitting in a chair, it's just like your hips up are, are sitting in the chair. That's so funny. Yeah. That's absolutely hysterical. <laughs> but I, mean, I think, I mean, just, just the fact that that exists, I think shows that people kind of miss the in-person experience, you know, I think, it, I mean, my, I would advocate for companies to go to a hybrid model once the pandemic passes so that you could get a little bit of the best of both worlds, you know, like for me, I think the best of being in an office is that you do get to know the people. Um, you do have a chance to work collegially with people. You know, it's easier to do tasks as a team uh, often 
than just by yourself. And also you get the diversity of thinking. You get also, you get brainstorming and free thought. Whereas when you're at home, let's say working from your home or your apartment, um, it's not as spontaneous. You know, it's more difficult, I think, to brainstorm online with people than to do it in person. The ideas don't flow. Like you can do tasks well and very efficiently since there's no commuting time, but the ideas I think aren't flowing the same way that they do when you're feeding off people's energy in a room. No, and I'm glad you zeroed in on that piece there too, because uh, I'll agree. I'm a big fan of cognitive diversity and promoting that as much as possible. And, uh, I, I do believe that that's something that we may have lost a little bit over, uh, you know, the last 18 months or whatever it is we're going on now, going on two years at this point. Can you believe that? I can't. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little crazy to sit back. And now, um, you know, we're recording. It's it's August 24th. And I just saw an article before we got on here that says, uh, you know, we could be back to normal by the spring of, of 22. And it seems like it was yesterday we were seeing the spring of 21, right? Right. Right. This has been a super big challenge, you know, for for the whole world. I mean, for the entire world. Um, And, you know, corporate culture is just one of the sort of big shifts that this is happening. Yeah. It's unbelievable how long it's taken. It really is. Well, you've used the word empathy a couple of times. I think that is really... One of the things that a lot of organizations are struggling with right now is is the empathy piece, right? Because I think more and more they're realizing that it's not just about the employee that actually works for them, but it's about, you know, the, the single mother who is now teleworking and, oh, by the way, their kid or, or uh, kids aren't allowed to go to day, uh, the day schools. So now not only are they teleworking, but now they've got to watch their kid. And, and and just, you know, that's just one kind of shining example. But there's hundreds of those examples of how teleworking has not been this, uh, this Shangri-La kind of experience a lot of people thought during this pandemic. So how can an organization really kind of build that more empathetic workplace that you talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think in some ways it's really about the individuals at a company and caring about their workers and that like there's the empathy part like I care about my workers but also they're soliciting their opinions about things like sending Q&A surveys to them you know having brainstorming meetings with them online you know asking what could be better here and will be willing to accept that things aren't perfect and that the employees may have feedback and maybe as a boss, you don't want to hear the feedback, but it's still better to ask and, and sort of listen harder. And I think in some ways, the pandemic, it makes it more challenging to do that. It really does because you have to build it in, in addition to just the learning curve, you know, everybody's struggling to learn new technology and to build up to speed in this remote environment. But I think, um, you know, there are rewards, I think, for companies who do that, who are more empathetic. And I think that their employee retention will be stronger. No, I, I think so as well. And, and I think, and, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. I think one of the big questions that 
a lot of organizations have been forced to really answer is, are we paying people for the time on the clock or are we paying people for their productivity? And, and, and what I mean by that is kind of like, you know, let's go back to the, the single mother now having to take care of their kids. As, as an empathetic leader, am I okay with the fact that maybe she, or even a single father, uh, but am I okay with the fact that she may have to get up and fix lunch while on the clock? but work is still getting done. Am I okay with the fact that maybe she has to go reset Amazon Prime so the kids have something to watch to entertain themselves, and maybe she gets caught up in it for an hour or so, but the work is still getting done. The The productivity is still there. Right. And, and, I think we have to be. I think we have to be. It's just our new reality. You know, before when people were at the office, they were more or less protected from those distractions, but now they're, they're, they aren't. And I think we all have to be flexible. I mean, I've been on meetings where people's pets walk in, you know, and the pets need to be fed too. The pets need to be fed or walked, you know, and then the children need to be fed. And yes, we have to sort of be more caring and be more flexible, I think. And as long as the stuff gets done, as long as the work gets done in a reasonable manner, I think that's the new benchmark. Yeah. No, I I, I, I like that. Um, now, I'm curious. I've had a couple of folks on here in the past, uh, recent past, talking about how HR practices have changed and talking about how companies are recruiting in in areas where they haven't really been able to before because now people don't necessarily have to move to New York. Being a New Yorker, I'm sure you understand all of the issues that can come with that being, you know, somebody from Podunk South, maybe not wanting to move to New York or being able to afford to move there, right? Uh, is, is that something that you're seeing as well, that like people are really branching out where they recruit their talent pool from? Yeah, I mean, it opens it up. It definitely opens it up. But I guess companies have to be very forward thinking, you know, and say, what is our model going to look like three years from now? You know, like, will we be a hybrid model or will we be 100% remote and just sort of try to think ahead? And I think um, companies are, you know, are sort of loath to do that because we're all in this together and we're not, we haven't figured it all out yet, you know. So I think it's fine. I think it's great. And I think it's an opportunity uh, for people. And maybe depending on what kind of jobs they're getting, maybe they will be job hopping anyway in a couple of years. But, you know, if a company intends to go back full time, let's say in three years, then hiring people from far away may not work. So it all depends on the business model that they want to have. Well, and I think, you know, you've mentioned this a couple of times. I think it's a good time to talk about it now because you mentioned job hopping and, and people finding other things to uh, to do during the pandemic. Uh, you know, you see this. I mean, it seems like every time you, you look at the news or something, there's some new article about how while unemployment is at such and such rate, we're still having a hard time filling, you know, say fast food jobs or things like that. And I think that is maybe the one great piece of this is people have found great new and inventive ways to 
maybe chase their dream. They've, they've gotten into computer coding. They've gotten into being a content creator, whatever uh, that means to that person. And, and so I think everything you're saying here really just goes to the point that organizations are going to have to be really smarter to and more empathetic to try to attract some of those people back. They don't hold all the cards anymore, right? Right, right. I mean, I think it's a combination of, first of all, having to, we're all having to learn new skills. And then once we've learned the skills, it might open the door to something new for us, you know, that we didn't have a chance to experience before. And employers should take care, you know, to make their employees feel valued and make they, make them feel like they matter. Because it, it's like there's a subtle power shift now. And soon it will be, you know, employers are going to be competing with each other for the, some of the same great workers. So while they can, I would say now, like hopefully, you know, fingers crossed at the tail end of this horrible pandemic, while they can, while it's still a little bit hard to look for other jobs right now, now is the time to try to build like that empathetic culture that's more flexible and more caring and more listening. Mm. Well, and on that point, because, you know, a lot of these articles do focus, you know, on, on that sort of thing. But I had a friend who, you know, was still working in the food service industry, and uh, they made a great point. It's like, you know, everybody keeps pointing at, at the organization. You know, everybody wants to keep uh, trashing McDonald's for being a terrible place to work and not taking care of their employees and that sort of stuff. But the one thing that a lot of people aren't talking about, and some people are, but not a lot of people are talking about, is the customers themselves. And I think customers underestimate their involvement in that whole employee experience process, especially with, you know, the service industries, like say the food service. I mean, I try to frequent the places, you know, I mean, here in New York City, not, not the McDonald's of the world, but a lot of restaurants, a lot of local pizzerias, you know, a lot of them have gone out of business. So many places have gone out of business. Um, and it's really sad, you know, there's, there's, um, you know, street after street after street where the stores have gone out of business, you know. And um, I mean, I would say as a customer, I, I just try to go out sometimes, you know, I would say, don't always just cook, you know, or even order in, like try to go to your local places and keep them in business, like through the pandemic, realize how tough it's been, you know, yeah. like in New York, a lot of the restaurants, they were allowed to build outdoor places, like right outside their restaurants, they were allowed to build outdoor places so that people could sit outside, you know, and, and, and in fact, you know, there's a lot of that people sitting outside on the streets um, so that, you know, because of COVID. And I just say, you know, if you're a customer of a place and you want to see them around in a year, like go there, you know. Yeah. There. Frequent the places that you love and try to keep them in business. Yeah. No, I, I agree 100%. And here's the one thing I, I'll give. So my experiences with New York is, is fairly limited. Uh, I've been a couple places on Long Island, and that's about it. Uh, but, you know, New York, and this is busting down a stereotype for some folks who haven't been there. Uh, 
it gets a bad rap in movies and on TV shows about terrible customer service, angry waitresses, and all that kind of good stuff. And sure, I'm sure that happens. But, you know, I'll tell you, some of the best customer service I've ever had, um, just outside of uh, the airport on Long Island, uh, there was a place, we were convinced it was a local spot until somebody told us it's actually a chain, uh, but it's Anthony's Coal-Fired Pizza. And uh, me and my, my training partner, partner at the time, we're both from the South, and we had no clue what to expect. So we get out and, and, you know, we're expecting the stereotypical, you know, forget about it and all that good stuff. <laughs> we sit down and a waitress comes up to us and she says, can I take your order, darling? And we're like, wait, wait, what? That, that's what they say where I'm from. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, uh, don't judge New York by the TV. You know, get in there and experience it and give them, give them a chance, right? Yeah, I would say um, yes, and also just realize like everybody's kind of hurting, you know, and uh, just try to be, you know, a good customer too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it used to be that you could kind of lounge around in a restaurant for two hours dawdling over dinner or something like that. That's not the case today, you know. It's like they need you to come in and eat and leave and, you know, hopefully turn that table over, you know. This is people's lives that are depending on it. So I would just say be flexible. You know, hopefully this won't last forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, that. another change, at least here, I don't know if you're aware of it, but at least in New York, now in New York City, they're making everybody show vaccination status and everything, you know? Right. You can't, you can't even enter a restaurant without showing that you've been vaccinated. Yeah. Now, they haven't quite got there here in, in Indiana yet. Um, but you know, there's, there's some talks of that and it's going to be interesting to see how, how they end up pulling this off. Um, but yeah, and, and, and you're right. And, and I think that's really the basis of, of kind of the question there, right? Is as a customer, remember, you know, it's hard to find these folks right now because they've, they've already, uh, some folks have already moved on. They found out that they can make just as much money, if not more money in some of these gig economy jobs like Uber and Grubhub and all that sort of stuff. Don't make it worse on the ones who are still sticking around by being a, a terrible customer. You have a role to play too, right? Yeah, you have a role to play too. I mean, we're all in it together, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, be, be, you know, be, be kind, I would say. And, uh, and just realize like things are a little different now and to just be more flexible, you know, I think that's like the code word these days. Just be more flexible than you've ever been before. Yeah. So taking all of that into account, right? Uh, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, hybrid work models. We've talked a little bit about making uh, Zoom meetings a little bit more fun. We've talked a little bit about empathy, right? If, if you were working with a leader right now and they said, what is the one thing I can do to make my culture a place where people want to come back to work? What would you tell them? I would say that it's not just about profits. You know, wherever you're working, there has to be something sort of higher, nobler than just money involved. You know, even let's say you're working at a bank or whatever, um, I would say there has to be a mission and the mission has to be maybe, you know, service oriented or helping people. There has to be something that makes 
your people want to work for you. And if you don't know what it is, then I would say, you know, please sit down and write mission statements, you know, until you figure it out. But there has to be a calling, you know, it's a calling. It's not just a job. And even the people that work for you have to kind of feel the calling too, you know, be the best airline, you know, the, you know, the best bank, the one that doesn't charge as much, you know, uh, this type of thing, be the best restaurant. Um, you, you need to have like a mission that drives the people under you where they believe that they are ambassadors for your company and they will carry forward the mission. And to the extent that you know it, uh, then once you know what it is, then I would try to simplify it because it's always easier to communicate something, you know, in one sentence than 17 um, and just get that that mission is almost like a tagline down, you know, um, and, and, and have that and then sort of imbue it into the people who work for you. You know, when you're hiring them, talk about it, you know, and hire the people that you feel will carry it forward to and, and who are believers, you know, all the people that work for you should sort of be true believers in the company mission, which they should be able to express as eloquently as you express it, you know, yep. and I think that will help uh, attract people. And I also think it'll help keep people too. Well, yeah, no, and I love what you just said there because that that is powerful, right? And it goes back to that cognitive diversity piece and giving folks that feeling that they have that they have a say that they can kind of drive the company culture that 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 what they're giving you as input really matters to the fabric of the company, right? Yeah, that their opinion counts. It and I mean, nobody's perfect and no company I don't think is perfect, you know, so it's always going to involve like some adjustments and I think adjustments are fine. Just, you know, just realize like nobody's perfect and the, your workers won't expect you to be perfect and won't, ex but if you, if they feel like they're part of it, that I think it, you're very far ahead when they really feel like they count and they matter. And you know, sometimes you can listen to an opinion and not agree with it, but just listening sometimes can help too. Can it make a worker feel like she's being heard? You know, that yeah. goes a long way. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and, and I think that is the one thing that, that a lot of organizations overlook is how valuable that feedback is, because these are the people who are actually doing the job. These are the people who have to, as you said, kind of uh, be evangelical about the organization. So why wouldn't you want their input into smarter work practices? Right? Right. And the whole hierarchy, if there even is a hierarchy anymore, is shifting so radically, you know, partly as a result of all work going remote. It's more democratic. And so more people have power. And I think um, smart bosses will recognize that. Yeah, no, I agree. It, it reminds me of, uh, so as a Marine, I hate quoting army people, but Patton was okay. Uh, Pat, Patton had a, a quote, and, and I don't get it 100% right, but it says, 
Uh, never tell your soldiers what to do. Tell them what needs to be done and get out of their way and let them dazzle you with their brilliance. And I think that's what we got to do right now because we're in uncharted territory. Nobody really knows what work from home is supposed to be like. Nobody really knows what reintegration is going to look like once we get on the other side of this. Sometimes it's just that simple. I like how you mentioned simplification is, hey, this is what needs to be done. Knock it out. Whatever you need, you know, kind of as long as it's not illegal, immoral, or unethical, kind of throw the rule book out the window and, hey, how do we get this done and let them be creative and inventive for you, right? Yeah. Also, I was just going to say, I think that part of it, too, um, comes down to communication because when you're in an office, it's easier to communicate. It really is. Like, let's say you forgot to tell somebody something, you know, you can just run down the hallway, you know? Right. Or let's say you're servicing clients and then the client's on the phone or whatever, you can just run down the hallway. It's easier to communicate, even like the walls have ears, right? And even if somebody forgot to tell you something, if you're sitting there, chances are you're going to absorb it. You're going to know what's happening in your company, even if somebody doesn't directly tell you right? But when you're at home, you're not going to hear any of that. There is no chatter. And so if you're a boss, it's really on you to make sure that you're communicating clearly what's expected, what the deadline is, you know, what the demands are. It's on you to make sure that that happens, you know? And I would also say if, if you have the time and you're in a position of authority at a company, I would also say, like, try to have an office hour, you know? Ha- yeah. Try to have a time, like, each week where somebody can come to you with questions. Yeah. No, I like that. And, and, and the other thing there is, you know, there's this great debate that keeps going on about should people have their cameras on? Should people have their cameras off? But, you know, what you just said about communication, I think that's one thing that people continually underestimate is the power and and how much of communication comes through in body language. And even if you have the camera on, most of us are sitting in a chair, sitting still, looking at the camera, and we're not really expressing ourselves in the same way we would in a one-on-one conversation. So we lose a little bit of that piece too, right? Right. And people pick up a lot of cues from body language. And a lot of the body language is eliminated in this situation. You know, gestures may be eliminated or even leaning forward. You know, some facial expressions may not communicate. You know, there's a lot that you're not seeing with the screen that you would just be picking up in person. Somebody leans forward, like let's say you're in an in-person meeting and you're presenting an idea, right? And you see them lean forward with excitement. Well, you know, on a screen, you may not see that. You may not really know how somebody thinks or what, they, what they're thinking about what you're showing them or talking about, you know? But there's no harm in asking them, you know? Right. Like, how do you feel about this? You know, is that exciting to you? Do you want us to go back and work on it more? Like, what, you know, if you're open to feedback, and I think that's what we're talking about. If you're open to feedback, then the challenge is going to be to solicit it more than you would ordinarily in person. Yeah. Because there's some feedback you just won't be seeing or getting just by sitting around with somebody, you know? So you actually have to solicit it. Um, but the, of course, the real thing, I mean, to be empathetic is also to want to hear the feedback, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I agree 100% with that. And yeah, absolutely. And and the one thing is, I don't want to hear, or I don't want people to hear the conversation we just had and say, ha ha, I knew it. I've got to require people to have their cameras on at every single meeting. Because there are some legitimate reasons for people to want to, to leave their cameras off. They could be going through something. You know, the same things that keep them kind of quiet and reserved when we're in an office are some of the same things that are going to keep them maybe want to keep their camera off during a meeting and being empathetic, you've got to respect that piece as well, right? Yeah. I mean, I would say you you should respect it. I would say given a choice, um, if people are fine either way, then I would say it's probably better to have the cameras on most of the time because it'll be, the communication will be a little clearer if you can see them. And also just in terms of not interrupting people, you know, somebody's speaking and then you just keep hopping in over them, right? And everyone's like, wow, she's so rude, you know, (laughs) but the thing is you can't see them. So I, I think it helps to have the camera on, but if somebody doesn't want to, then just be respectful. Yep. I love it. All right. So you, you mentioned having office hours, right? But how valuable are happy hours? Like, how can we get folks together in this remote or maybe even in a hybrid environment where some of the people are in the office and some people are are remote? What are some ways that we can get those folks together and make them feel like they're still part of the team? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, I would say with the hybrid model, since let's say a hybrid model is two days at the office and three days not at the office, right? I would say if you're in a position of authority, make the two days in the office matter, make them count, make them have a reason for being there. Like a meeting is a reason, a gathering is a reason, not just have people come in and drive for maybe an hour and only to sit in a cubicle all day, you know, have it count that people are together doing something, brainstorming maybe, you know, or an office party, something like that. Um, Secondly, with the hybrid model, I would say try to have it be a day that's convenient. Maybe you could take a survey of the people who work for you and say, what's the best day or two to come in? You know, it may not be Monday. I mean, maybe people want to come in in the middle of the week. Try to find a day that people or two that people agree on, you know. And then I would say when you're on Zoom, I mean, going back to the remote experience or one of any of the other platforms, I would say try to start things with icebreakers. Maybe have five minutes where people talk about themselves a little bit and not just launch right into the task. Um, because again, you're trying to make up for the time that you're not seeing them in person. So ask them questions like, what are you reading? You know, did you see any good movies? What did you do last weekend? That type of thing. Also, you could make Zoom a little bit more fun by having them have a pick a background that matters to them, maybe like where they honeymooned or where they last vacationed or maybe where they want to vacation when this is passed, something like that so that you get you still get a feeling about people's personalities and their personal lives outside of the office. Mm. No, I like that. And I think that may be the one underutilized uh, piece of this remote work and just talk about having cameras on or off. Like when you're wanting to go through those kind of trust exercises, at least this is my experience, maybe yours is is different. So please uh, let me know if it is. 
But when you're trying to go through some of those trust exercises where you're getting people to open up a little bit, not having somebody sitting straight across from you staring at you opens that up a little bit, gives you a little bit more likely to share because you're not, you, you don't have that other person and, and you're not worried if they're judging you because, well, they can't see you, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it depends. I think it's going back to what you were saying about introverts and extroverts. I think extroverts always prefer to share, you know, and I think introverts like tend to like prefer not to share. But I think if you make the icebreaker fun enough, then everybody can share, you know, whether maybe it's your favorite music, just something that's more in the hobby realm than in the work realm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, that, that's exactly it. Like I've heard of some organizations doing, uh, you know, like a, a, an office like trivia game because people would go to the bars on trivia nights and that was kind of a team building thing. Well, now, you know, depending on what stage of the pandemic we're talking about or we're moving into, that's just not so feasible anymore. But you can re re uh, remanufacture some of that fun with your coworkers by doing stuff like that. So uh, just show a photograph. You know, another thing is to tell them what the game will be in advance. That way, introverts won't feel as it won't be as as much of a barrier for them. You know. Like if you said, you know, at the, the next meeting, we're going to take five minutes in the beginning to each show each other our favorite photograph, that type of thing, you know, mm. be sure to bring a photograph with you. Yeah. Then people who are more introverted or shy could prepare, you know, that portion a little bit. Um, you, it, there's no harm in saying what it will be. Yeah. No, I like that. Uh, not putting people on the spot. Right. Uh, yeah. No, that that that's makes perfect sense to me. Uh, yes, you know, how you call on people, like let's say you're a boss, and I think that one sort of very equal way to do it is just to go by the order of the boxes that you happen to see on your own screen. Right. You know, it's another way of like, I think building trust and sort of breaking down hierarchies is just say, you know what, my screen shows you guys in a certain order. And I'm just going to go and call on you by the order I see you, you know, left to right, that type of thing. Yeah. No, I love that because nothing kills momentum of a conversation when they just say, okay, anybody got anything? And you just have a dozen blank faces <laughs> on the thing, right? Because nobody wants to go first. Right. And then everybody starts talking at once. Yep. <laughs> nope. That's it. Um, so let me uh, kind of give you an opportunity to kind of wrap most of what we've been talking about so far up. If Vicky is designing the perfect workplace post pandemic, what does that look like? Well, in my dream workplace, I would have it be a hybrid model where people came to the office physically two or three days a week, but not every day. And I would, if I were the boss, I would try to have reasons for the people to come in so that it made more sense, you know, so that we were meeting in person or brainstorming together on something. And then the days when workers weren't in the office, they were at home completing the tasks that we had talked about. That would be perfect for me because I think 
the communication piece would be there if it were two days or three days in person in the office. And meanwhile, the flexibility and the autonomy would be there on the other days. And I think everybody would have a little bit of what they want. Um, and I think it would work really, really well. That would be my ideal workplace. I love it. I believe it, it might be helpful during remote days to actually break people up into smaller teams because I think that smaller teams are more efficient. But then I would want to switch the teams around so that people had an opportunity to work with other people. I think that could be helpful too. See, and that that is what I love right there, that, that last piece that you said, have people work with other people, because that is one of the biggest problems I see in a lot of organizations that have culture issues, that have siloing issues. It's because that doesn't happen enough. You know, uh, the sales team just works with the sales team, just works with the sales team. And, you know, I, I'm a big fan of taking some folks from the sales team and say, hey, uh Go over here and spend a few days or maybe a week working with research and development. Figure out what they do and keeping that fresh idea and, and like kind of we uh, the military term we use is unit cohesion uh, going throughout the organization, not just in your little bubbles. I love that last piece. Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be really a way to break down the silos. And I think that's so important, especially today. Yeah. Well, and that's because I get, you know, well, hey, I don't know what, what they do on the second floor. Well, you're on the third floor. You got to pass through it. Stop for a little bit, right? <laughs> yes, I know. I, I know. I used to be in the advertising business and I was always really, I was a, I was a writer and I was always really, really interested, you know, in the research portion. But a lot of times, you know, we were told like, don't, do not express interest in anything else except your own little task, you know, and they would try to keep us sort of siloed. Mm. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of that. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I guess there's some organizations and industries where that's necessary. Right, right. I guess but, so. Yeah, but maybe. Anyway, well, Vicki, look, we've been sitting here chatting here for going on 47 minutes here, and it's been a great conversation. Time has just flown by. Um, is there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover that you'd like to leave listeners with? I would just say in today's pandemic economy, um, I think the most important skill to have is to be flexible and to realize that we're not through it yet and things are constantly changing and the people that deal better with change will get through this better. I love it. I agree 100%. I think that that hopefully this has gotten us a little bit more used to change because there's a there's a quote that uh, I've been using a lot over the past couple of years, and it goes unattributed. I really wish I knew who said it first, but it, it simply says, change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. Nice. Yeah, because it's true. Yeah. Uh, that, and that's why when people say the new normal, I always kind of chuckle and always use air quotes when I say it because there is no new normal. The, the new normal is that there is no new normal. <laughs> exactly. This is very abnormal times, I'd yeah. say. I love it. 
Well, Vicky, so hopefully people, you know, they've been listening. They're, they're kind of bought in. Uh, they heard me in the pre-roll bio and at least once during this mentioned the titles of your books. I'm going to say this, uh, this one again, cause I love this title. Bad bosses, crazy coworkers, and other office idiots. If that title doesn't get you to want to go out and buy a copy of this book, nothing will. Uh, but how can they find out more about you and what you do? Thank you so much. Uh, my website is Vicky V I C K Y Oliver dot com. All my books are listed there. They are also available on Amazon and in other places where books are sold, like bookstores. And there's also a lot of just information for people on my website, articles they can read about job hunting and other things like bad bosses, and uh, they can reach out to me. Love it. Love it. Well, Vicki, thank you very much for spending, you know, the last 50 minutes or so with uh, with me and my guest. I've or me and my listeners. I've thoroughly enjoyed it and uh, really appreciate your time. And thank you so much for having me. This was a great conversation. I appreciate that. And listeners, we appreciate you being with us through this whole thing as well. Uh, I'll have the, sh- the uh, links to reach out to Vicki in the show notes. And uh, if you want to reach out to me, you know, burden.command at gmail.com. If you have comments, questions, concerns, guest ideas, anything like that, hit me at burden.command at gmail.com. Uh, be sure you keep rating, reviewing, subscribing, and sharing the show so great guests like Vicki can have her message spread further and reach more people and make the impact that she wants to have. That's how you can help us out with that. Uh, with that, thank you all very much for your time you've spent with us, and I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, the Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the Interviews. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.